Well, good morning. Uh, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor, and I'm so glad that you're able to join us today. Uh, so a few years back, uh, I was organizing an event for high school kids, and the goal of the event is that we wanted to teach them about poverty and hunger in our world. Uh, and so as a part of the event, we encouraged all the kids to not eat for 30 hours. Uh, and so for 30 hours, they could have some juice, but no food at all, so that they could feel a little bit what it's like to be hungry. And then at the end of the 30 hours, we were going to have a meal. Uh, and we decided as organizers of the event that we wanted to use this final meal to really help drive home a point that we'd been talking about for the last 30 hours. Because one of the things that we'd been talking about in the event is that we live in a world of profound wealth inequality. Uh, and this is something that many of us know. I mean, this has become way more mainstream in the last few years. And so uh, often you'll hear people talk about the top 1%. Uh, and the top 1% are people in our world who make more than $530,000 a year. Uh, and most people would say, yeah, $530,000 is a decent amount of money to make in a year. Uh, but then other people will say, yeah, that's interesting. But who you really need to talk about is the 0.01%, uh, which refers to the 160,000 or so families in America who make more than $7 million a year. Uh, and either way, I think that most of us would look at someone who's making $530,000 a year, and definitely we would look at someone who's making $7 million a year and say, yeah, that person is making a lot of money. That person is rich. But here's what you might not know. Uh, the average income in America last year was $82,000 a year. Uh, so in our church, uh, there's some of us that are above average, some of us are average, and some of us are below average. But if you make $82,000 a year, then that puts you in the top 4.5% of wealthiest people in the world. So you're not in the 1%, but you're still in a very high percentage, the 4.5% of wealthiest people in the world if you are just average income for America. Uh, but not all of us, of course, live in the average income. Uh, last year, New York State said that the poverty level for a family of four was $48,000 a year. So if you make $48,000 a year or below, then you are living below what New York State considers to be the poverty line. And this is a reality that some of us know very, very well. And what you know is if you make $48,000 a year, then there are multiple times where you have to look at your available finances and you have to decide, am I going to buy this thing I need or am I gonna buy this thing I need because I can't buy both. Then of course, there are other people that would look at people that are making $48,000 a year and say, would say, man, that would be amazing. Like I would love to make $48,000 a year because $48,000 a year, if you make 48,000, you are still in the top 11% of wage earners in the world. You're in the top 11%, which means there's a lot of people that are lower, including people that are in our city, including some of us. Uh, what the stats tell us is that one out of 10 people who live in New York, who live in Albany, so about 10,000 people, are food insecure, which means they're not sure exactly where their next meal is gonna come from, and if they get a meal, there's a good shot that it's not gonna be a very nutritious or balanced meal. And that would be an incredibly hard reality to live in, to live knowing that you're not sure where your next meal is going to come from. But 
even if you are in that 10%, one out of 10 of food insecure people who live in New York State, you are still among some of the wealthiest people in the world. Because what the World Bank tells us is that 46% of the world's population, almost half of the world's population, lives on $5.50 a day or less. They live on less than $2,000 a year. And then within that group, there's the very bottom of our world, the bottom 10% who make less than $2 a day. And for people that make less than $5 a day, for people who make less than $2 a day, it's just not a matter of them not having enough food sometimes, it's that they don't have any food or they don't have enough food to live. Because what the UN tells us is that every single day, 25,000 people die of hunger and hunger-related illnesses. Uh, so we're ending our event and the kids hadn't eaten for 30 hours and so we wanted to drive home this point of uh, the inequality of wealth. And so we're getting ready to give all the kids their food and so we kind of drew names out of a hat and we drew one kid's name out of a hat and we put him at a table and we gave that kid a ridiculous amount of food. I mean we put multiple plates of steak and uh, someone boiled a lobster and we put a lobster. Uh, we went and got all kinds of bags of McDonald's and Burger King and sugary cereals and you know food that teenagers like to eat and we just like filled this kid's table up with just like a ridiculous amount of food. Uh, and then we picked two other kids and we put them at a table and we gave those two kids a lot of food. Uh, not as much food as we gave the other kid, uh, but we still gave them a lot of food. And then for the rest of the kids, we gave them beans and rice because most of the world lives on beans and rice every single day. And some of the kids we gave big bowls of beans and rice and some of the kids we gave very small little like Dixie cups of just a little bit of beans and a little bit of rice. And then there was a few of the kids that we didn't give anything to. And then we just kind of stepped back and waited to see, like, what are these kids going to do? You know what? They, they haven't eaten for 30 hours. They're all hungry. And, like, we have just created this situation that is, like, ridiculously unfair. You know, that there's one kid who has crazy amounts of food, two kids who have an amazing amount of food, too. And most people don't have a lot of food, and a few kids don't have any food. What are they going to do in the midst of this situation? And we were very, very proud because very quickly, the kids started sharing. Uh, the kid who had all the food looked and said, yeah, there's no way I'm going to be ate all this food. This is, this is crazy. So does anyone else want any? And the two kids who had a lot of food, they're like, yeah, there's no way we're going to be eating all this food. And does anyone else want any? And pretty soon, they had all shared all the food. And of course, there was plenty of food for everybody to have almost as much as they wanted. Because sharing is in a situation like that, almost comes natural, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, at least that's what I found. Is I found that most people, when they are like, when they have more and they see somebody with less, they almost always share. I mean, I've heard stories of like house fires, you know, and it'll be like in a community and uh, someone's house will burn down and, you know, and the news will go out. You know, these people just lost everything. And all of a sudden, everyone looks at their closets that are full of clothes and they look at their pantries full of food and they're like, oh my gosh, I, I, I can totally help them out. I, I, could, I could give them some. And I'm confident that so many of you that are watching, that if you know of someone in need, you would happily give away. Uh, I remember when 
COVID first started and uh, the schools weren't going to be able to be in session and so a lot of kids who were getting their meals from schools, uh, I saw all kinds of you post Facebook posts to something to the extent of, if you know of anyone who needs food, send them to my house. I would be happy because I have some extra and I would be willing to share. So the question is, is if we live in a world of such huge inequality, and if most people are, are built, I think, to share, what's the problem? Uh, wh why does this inequality exist? Uh, why, aren't, why isn't everyone just sharing and everyone now has enough? And the problem often is, is that we live in a world of extreme segregation. And that even though we know there are people who are food insecure in the world, even though we know, you know, somewhere in our minds that there's people who make, you know, maybe less than $5 a day or less than $2 a day, or that there's people dying of hunger, for the most part, that's not in our normal day. I mean, that's not who we, you know, see when we go to work. That's not who we see in our neighborhoods. Uh, we are separated from them because we live in kind of segregated neighborhoods, segregated countries, uh, segregated places where kind of poor people are over here and more wealthy people are over here. Uh, today, uh, we want to talk uh, about a section of scripture from Second First uh, Corinthians. Uh, if you've been with us the last uh, few uh, months now, we've been looking at this letter uh, that a guy named Paul wrote to this church in Corinth, and he is going to write about this issue of inequality and how it was happening inside the church in Corinth, and how that was just a big, big deal to Paul that that should not be happening. Uh, so here's. Uh, what Paul says, here's how he starts off. He says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. Your meetings do more harm than good. When you guys get together for church, it's actually doing more harm than good. Well, what was taking place? In the first place, I hear that when you come together at church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. Paul says, when, when, when you guys are coming together for church, there's like divisions between different groups of people. And this one a bit, uh, a big deal uh, to Paul, because the church was supposed to be this place of no divisions. Uh, seven years ago, when we started uh, Christ Church Albany, uh, we started at the Elks Lodge, which was just a, a, a block over that way. And one of the things I would do is I would normally come to this price shopper and I would walk around. And one of the things I always thought was really cool about this grocery store in particular is just by the, the community that it's in, like, it's like an incredibly diverse place. Like, everybody's in there. I mean, there's, you know, people that are pretty rich, you know, doctors, lawyers, you know, that live in the neighborhood up here. There, there's, there's refugees, there's college students, there's people that are uh, homeless right now. There's people that are all over the social map, all over the economic map. But somehow they were able to all shop in the same store. And I thought, man, if they can shop in the same store, why wouldn't we be able to all go to church in the same church? Why couldn't you have a church that was just all over the social economic map? And that was the original idea for church. And that was one of the things that made church stand out so much in the first century, is it was like the one place in culture where there was actual diversity. It was the one place that in the same room, in the same group, there would be like a landowner and land workers and slaves. Uh, there would be you know, political elites uh, and there would be refugees and workers. Uh, there would be uh, people of very high status and there would be people of low status. Uh, there would be people that are from like a certain, you know, kind of higher praised racial group of the day 
day and people that were seen as a lower racial group. Uh, there was men, there was women, uh, people that were rich, that were poor, and they were all together. Uh, and the cool thing about the early church is it wasn't just that they came together, but as they were all together, they would look around and they would see that some people had more, they would see that some people had less, and they would just automatically share. Uh, here's what it says uh, in uh, the book of Acts, talking about the very early church. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Uh, I mean, you don't have enough food? Oh my gosh, like, I, if I have extra food, I'm gonna give you some, and that just became normal in the life of the church, and that was what Paul thought the church should be. But now Paul is looking at this church in Corinth 2,000 years ago, and this is not what they are doing. Uh, they are not this unified group who's all coming together from different categories and that they are all sharing, but they are now making divisions in the church. Uh, and here's uh, how they were doing it. It says, so that when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. And as a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Uh, so here's what uh, was going on. is uh, Back then, they would all come together on Sundays, uh, similar to what we would do now. Uh, and they would come together for kind of this often full day kind of gathering. Uh, and they didn't have church buildings back then, so they would meet in houses. And so all day long, uh, the church, the people would come together and they would meet in these houses. And, and a big portion of what they would do is they would share a meal together. And so kind of all day long, they were just like being with each other and, and fellowship with each other and catching up with each other and eating together. Uh, but the problem was, is that similar in our day, is that not everyone always can take a full day off work just to enjoy time. Uh, if you are lower in the economic food chain, you might never get a day off. Uh, you might have to work multiple jobs. You might have to work seven days a week. And this was the way it was in Corinth 2,000 years ago. And so the very wealthy people, they were able to take a whole day off. And so they were there first thing and they were in the house and they were eating food and they were just eating and drinking all day long. But there was other people that they had to work all day. Uh, they had to make sure that they had enough money to be able to feed their family. And so after working all day long, they would finally get there late in the day. But by the time they got there, uh, there wasn't any food left. Uh, there wasn't any drinks left. And they would walk in and like the rich people who had been there all day were like stuffed with food and they were drunk from drinking too much. And the others didn't even get to have any at all. Uh, and on top of that, uh, what a lot of historians think is that the houses back then would kind of have like different like, uh, there'd be like a, a center part with like a dining room that was kind of the most important part of the house and then there'd be like courtyards that would get, you know, and, and the further out you went, it was just kind of a little less important. And so the people who were rich, who got there early in the day, they would got to be in the dining room, like the most important parts of the house. And so by the time that the poor people got there, uh, everything was already full, everything was already eaten, so they had to stay on the courtyard not eating any food at all. And Paul looks at this and he is not happy uh, at all. Uh, here's what he says. He says, what shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. Paul's saying this is not the way that church is supposed to be. And then Paul is going to tell them that they need to change. And what he's going to tell them is not, hey, you guys are being unfair and you need to be fair. 
He's gonna say, this isn't what we are all about. Because what we are most of all is we are followers of Jesus. Let's remember for a second why we are coming together. We're not coming together just to eat and drink. We're coming together for a certain purpose. Uh, here's what he says. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Uh, one of the staples of why they would have come together every single week is not just so they could have a meal together, but so they could remember the Lord's Supper, so they could have communion together, so that they could have the Eucharist together. And it wasn't just about taking it. There was kind of, it was going back to this last supper that Jesus had with his disciples. And what Jesus said is that when you come together to have this meal, what I want you to do is I want you to take some time to remember me. And one of the things I think that most people know about Jesus, uh, even in our world now where a lot of people are not Christians, are not going to church, I find that so many people still like Jesus because one of the kind of reputations of Jesus is that Jesus loved people, and in particularly, he loved poor people. Jesus spent his time with lepers. Uh, Jesus spent his time with the, the social and gender and racial outcast of the day. Uh, Jesus started off his, his life himself as a political refugee. Uh, Jesus spent most of his adult life homeless. Jesus was all about serving and loving and spending time with the poor. And so Paul says, when you guys come together, what I want you to do is I want you to not just like have a meal together, but what Jesus said is you're supposed to take some time and just remember who this Jesus is that we were following and how he lived and to consider how we can live that way ourselves. Uh, and he goes on. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Uh, she said, uh, also, at, during this meal, you're not just drinking wine. You're definitely not drinking wine to get drunk. You're doing this to, again, remember me. And, and I want you to remember something very specific, that I came to establish a new covenant, uh, a new relationship between mankind and, and, and God. A covenant that says that I love you no matter what. Uh, and then they all would have remembered that at that supper that Jesus had with his disciples, that we remember each week with communion, when he took the wine, uh, that Jesus gave them a very specific command that they were supposed to live in this new commandment. Uh, and we find it in the book of John. He says, a new commandment I give you, love one another. And how are we supposed to love one another? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, you will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That this was going to be the sign of Jesus' new covenant. Uh, the sign of the old covenant, Moses and the Ten Commandments was circumcision. And this is going to be the sign of the new covenant, is that we are a group of people who love one another. And when you come together at communion, you're supposed to spend time and remember that idea. Paul goes on and says, So, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner 
will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Paul says, hey, when you guys come together, this isn't just about like, one of the things that like can like tick me off about like church world sometimes is sometimes people get this idea that like there's all these things that we are like supposed to do. Like I'm, I'm supposed to read my Bible and I'm supposed to pray and I'm supposed to go to church. And like when we do it, it's like a check mark that we can check off. And like now God's happy with us because we did what he told us to do. And Paul's saying, that's not the reason I'm telling you to come together is I want you to come together. And when you do this, this is about taking communion together and being around other Christians. And, and, and what I want you to do is I want you to spend time focusing on Jesus and who he was. And I want you to spend time focusing then on how that affects you. And so especially in what Paul is talking about here, that when we come together, part of examining ourselves is asking really hard questions. Like, I, if Jesus had the amount of money that I have, if Jesus had the kind of resources that I have, what would he do with those? If Jesus lived in a city where one out of 10 people are currently living with food insecurity, what would Jesus do about that? And if I was going to truly follow Jesus with my life, what would I do about that? If Jesus lived in a world where 25,000 people die of hunger and hunger-related illnesses every day, what would Jesus do about that? And what would I do about that if I was truly going to follow Jesus with my life? And here's what I found, is that it results in some really wonderful and really difficult life choices. Uh, I'll tell you about uh, one of our most recent ones. Uh, so. A couple weeks ago, uh, we got uh, a letter in the mail, and in the mail uh, was these two debit cards, and both debit cards had $420 on them. Uh, and what they were uh, was that back at the beginning of COVID, uh, school, of course, was canceled, uh, and so uh, we have two kids in the Albany school systems, and that meant that they couldn't go to school, and so that the meals that they were receiving at school, uh, they weren't receiving. And so uh, some government program had put together a, a, a this uh, kind of refund program to say, hey, since you didn't get all those meals, here's now $420 per kid that you can use to buy food for your kid to kind of help make up for that. Uh, and I saw that, I was like, that's you know kind of amazing that like the government would give us this kind of free money. And you know, and I don't know about your financial world, but you know, for us, $840 is like a decent amount of money, you know? I mean, if we can use $840 towards our food budget, then that means that money we were gonna spend on food, we can now spend on, you know, cool things for our house, or, you know, maybe a trip, or going out to eat, you know? I mean, there's fun things that you can do with $840. That's a decent amount of money. Uh, but pretty quick, after we got uh, the letter and after we got the cards, uh, I saw uh, one of our friends posted on Facebook, uh, uh, kind of a description of like, here's why you got this, and here's why you got this money. Uh, and then they added this line. Uh, they said, if you are lucky enough to not need this money, then here's what we encourage you to do, is to take that money, and, and, and so you use it to buy your groceries, and then the money that you save that you're not gonna put to this grocery, take that $840 and donate it to some organization in our city that is providing food for people who really need it. 
and then later on that night, I was talking to my wife Ashley, and Ashley said, "Hey, did you see? You know, we, we got these cards. You know, and did you see what our friend uh, posted about what you could do with that?" And like, I mean, I, both of us had already thought about like fun ways in which we could spend that money, but like immediately as we started talking about it, just based off of our history and based off of especially who my wife is, uh, and uh, based off of so much time that we have spent with Jesus. We just knew, like, yeah, fine. We're, 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 that money would be nice, but we don't need it. And so we're going to give it away. And I believe that when you follow Jesus, these kind of decisions just become a normal part of our life. Is that we're not just going to take, but we're going to find ways to share. Uh, and then what Paul says is that this isn't just about like helping other people, although that's hugely important, but that this is also about helping yourself. Uh, so here's how uh, Paul is getting ready uh, to end. As Paul says, that is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have even fallen asleep, which is the Bible's way of saying some people have died. But if you were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Uh, and different people interpret that different ways. Some people say that, you know, God was like actually like striking people down and making people sick, and maybe that was happening. But what I have found is that God usually works often through pretty natural causes, and God works through pretty natural cause and effect responses. And what many of us have unfortunately found in our lives is, do you know what happens when you eat more than you're supposed to eat? Do you know what happens when you drink too much? Uh, and especially, do you know what happens if you make a lifestyle of eating too much and drinking too much? You get sick, you get weak, and it might result in even death. And Paul is saying, guys, like I, I want you to not only share with people around you and eat less and drink less because it'll help other people, but a simpler and more generous way to live is actually a better and more healthy way to live. Uh, so. Real practical before we end, uh, what do we do with this? Uh, because I think a lot of us again hear this and we're like, yeah, no, like, I'm in. Like, I, I, I've been spending time with Jesus. I'm starting to understand who Jesus is. And I, I, I want to love other people the way that Jesus uh, loved. And that means I want to share my stuff. I just don't know where to start. Uh, so I encourage you to check out a couple of the partners that we work with. Uh, some of you know we work with an organization called Vision Trust and they have a program where you can sponsor a child for $40 a month and that'll help provide that child with food and with education and uh, uh, it's multiple different countries uh, where these kids are and so if you want information about that you can put that on your connect card and uh, my wife Ashley will be in touch with you. Uh, one of our uh, partners that we work with is a Vision Trust site in India uh, and in India right now, I mean COVID's been tough everywhere but it, if you've been watching the news, it's been just devastating in India, uh, both of the people that have died from COVID itself and because of the way it's uh, it just exasperated the hunger issue that was already there. And so uh, through some of your donations, we were able to give a couple thousand dollars to Vision Trust India uh, back in the beginning of the summer, uh, but they are still in need of money. And so that's a great place where you can give. And again, you can uh, put that on your connect card and we'll get in touch of how you can give. 
Uh, we work with multiple different uh, partners here in the city of Albany, uh, including uh, the Southland Cafe, the Boys and Girls Club, uh, Interfaith Partnership for the Homeless, Capital City Rescue Mission, uh, others, I'm sorry for uh, leaving folks out. And these are all amazing organizations that are helping people who are in food insecurity, and all of them could definitely use volunteers, and all of them could definitely use money to help them get more food. Uh, and there's lots of other organizations that you can partner with too, and, you know, and we encourage you to find ways to be generous. But why I would especially encourage you to think about one of those is that I have full trust that all of those will not only be somewhere that you can give money to, but they will help you to be able to build a relationship. So that when you sponsor a child uh, in uh, one of the Vision Trust projects, you'll get a chance to get to know that child and you'll get a chance to build a relationship with them. Uh, if you start getting involved in one of our Serve Albany partners, you'll get a chance to get to know the people there. And here's what Paul is gonna end with. Is what Paul says, again, the dream of the church is not just like a wealthy church giving to people who don't have as much, but it's a place of an integrated humanity where poor people and rich people are all coming together. And when we build relationships together, like that's where things really start to change. Uh, so here's how uh, Paul ends this section. He says, so then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. And so uh, as we take communion today, let's remember, we are taking communion with brothers and sisters all over the world. Brothers and sisters that might be in the 0.01%, that might be in the 1%, uh, that might be in the 4.5% of average incomers, uh, they might be in the 11% of poverty line. They might be living in food insecurity. They might be living on $5 a day. They might be living on less than $2 a day. That might be mourning someone who didn't make it through the night because they didn't have enough food to eat. We take communion with them as a group, as a body of believers. And so let's remember who Jesus is and how he calls us to live and how he calls us to live amongst other people. So let's take the bread together. Let's take the juice together. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we love you. Help us to follow you. Help us to look deeply into who you are how you loved other people and help that love to come inside of us so that we begin to love other people in that same way so that we can be your hands and feet in this world it's your name we pray amen we love you guys see you next week well, thank you for being a part of our service today we hope that you found it helpful as you're able to connect with other people during the service through the chat and also helpful in regards to what we learned today as we have uh, focused on God and focused on what his word says about our lives and about himself. Uh, and so as a church, we are all about taking next steps and next steps in our lives, next step in our walk with Jesus, uh, because we're trying to take what we learn uh, in a day like today in the service and apply it to our lives. And so we'd love to come alongside you and help you with that. Uh, and there's a couple ways that we can help. Uh, there's a next step email and then there's the connection card. Uh, the next 
It's next step email. If you're already on the email list, you'll be receiving that shortly. Um, but if you're not on the email list, you can look that up on the Facebook page. But basically, the next step email gives uh, a few different things to follow up on as we continue just next week. Uh, so there's some questions that, again, is related to what we've learned. Uh, prayer, uh, prayer related items uh, that we can pray specifically for and also some activities that we can do with other people. Uh, but it's just a way to kind of re-continue our focus on the things that God wants us to be focused on. It uh, also there's the connection card, and the connection card is a way that you can let some of the leaders know what's going on in your life, um, any prayer requests you may have, uh, any next steps you're considering. Uh, we'd love to come alongside you with those things, and so if you have any of those, uh, prayer requests, next steps, or anything else, uh, feel free to fill out the connection card and let us know what's going on uh, in your lives. Um, we say every week that church is not uh, a building, it's not an organization, it's even not just a service, it's a group of people. Um, and as a church, uh, I when I normally would host, I would say this, there's something that was said to me, is that if no one has told you that they love you today, just know that I do. And as a church, just know that we love you. And so we, we mean it when we say that we want to walk alongside you. So if you have anything going on in your life right now, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, we love you and hope that you have a great week.